You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. Hey, glad you are here. Glad you're in the room. Glad you are watching online. So glad to see you this morning here at Mount Perrin North. Um, we are continuing a series we began a couple of weeks ago. The series is called Peace of Mind, and we're talking about emotional and um, struggles and some mental health struggles that some people might have, and the most common ones. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about anxiety. Today, we're going to talk about dealing with depression, dealing with depression. And what I just want to open us up with prayer this morning as we get started. Father, in these next few moments, Lord, as we look to your word, I pray that your word would search us and give us truth. Um, I recognize today these folks don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. And so, Lord, speak through me and anoint the words you've given me to say as they go forth. Anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive so that you may accomplish your perfect will. And, Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, we started this series a couple of weeks ago because one of the things that people deal with is when it comes to mental health or emotional struggles, is they deal with shame because they think, I shouldn't be dealing with this. If I'm a Christ follower, I shouldn't be dealing with this. And so I want us to look and and engage it as a church, but also let God's word speak to what people are actually going through during this time. Because I'm going to tell you something, whether you have experienced it in your past or whether you're going through it right now, there's going to be a time in your life where you're going to have one of those down moments And there may be a time in your life where you go through one of those depressive moments. The reason we say this is because it's probably one of the most misunderstood. I'm going to be honest with you. I did not understand the whole concept of depression, um, especially long-term depression, until I started studying it. I will say life circumstances have certainly brought events into your life and my life that have caused us to feel down at certain times. But I came across some um, uh, on social media. It was a hashtag, and it says, depression feels like. And I want to read to you four descriptions that people say depression feels like. They say it's a terrible sinking sensation, like trying to move in a tar pit. Another one says, it's a void that sucks in all your thoughts of being capable, worthwhile, and lovable, and replaces them with a crushing fear of failure. Another one says, it's losing who you are because you've been pretending to be okay for so long that you can't remember what you're like beneath the mask. The final one says, you feel like you're stuck in quicksand, slowly drowning, but only enough to see the world doing just fine without you. Descriptions like this are sobering and they're heartbreaking. But what's even more sobering is to find out how many people are actually suffering from this. Many sources have confirmed that depression is the leading health problem in the world. It's unspoken. People don't like to admit it. And yet it is crushing people on a regular basis. So how do you tackle something that's so far-reaching and so debilitating? Well, it begins by understanding that every single person is different. Every time you deal with it, there's difference. But there are three main categories of depression. One is chronic, 
This is when a major episode, something major happens in your life and depression comes crushing in and it is severe. It lasts uh, at least two weeks and it will disrupt sleep, appetite, relationships, and even the ability to concentrate. That's what's called clinic. I'm sorry, excuse me, clinical. It means it's acute. It's sudden. And then there's what is called chronic. The, the symptoms aren't as severe, but they last for a long time. Chronic would be something lasting more than two years. And it's called persistent depressive disorder. And though your circumstances may contribute to this, this one mostly has to do with biology, neurology, and or trauma that's taking place in your life. That means you need help medically a lot of times. You are a full, you are body, soul, and spirit. And sometimes you need spiritual help and sometimes you need medical help as well. Especially if there's some chemical imbalance that is going on in your life. And then there's what is called just simply lifestyle. This has less to do with chemical imbalance and more to do with lifestyle imbalance. These are choices that we're making that are affecting our lifestyles and affecting the things that are taking place. And more and more experts are concluding that this is why depression is so widespread. And it's a reminder for all of us that it doesn't matter how smart you think you are, how successful you are, or how spiritual you think you are. You have limits. And when you cross those limits and push those limits, you put yourself at risk for emotional instability in your life. Now, does God have anything to say about this, mo this moment, about this subject, about depression? There is a story in the Old Testament. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. There's a story of an Old Testament prophet named Elijah. Elijah is one of the, if, if you're talking about the Old Testament, he's a rock star in the Old Testament. I mean, if you're a prophet, th this guy was one of the greatest prophets to have ever lived. One of the greatest ones God ever used. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that in a time where Israel was being disobedient, that Elijah went to Ahab, the king, and he literally prayed and he said, here's the punishment. I'm going to pray. And for three and a half years, it's not going to rain. He prayed and for three and a half years, there was a drought. And then he prayed again and the drought ended. The Bible says that God used him to raise someone from the dead. The Bible even tells us in the previous chapter, in 1 Kings chapter 18, that Elijah goes to a mountain, Mount Carmel, and he faces off with 450 prophets of Baal, a false god. And he tells them, he says, today's the day. Gathers the people of Israel and he says, today's the day. We're going to determine who is really God. And I want you to go home and read that. I don't have time to tell you the whole story in that. But in essence, what happens is he says, whoever's God answers by fire, the sacrifice that is set up, We'll know that they're God. 450 prophets of Baal prayed for a long time. Nothing happened. Elijah comes and sets up and says a short prayer that says, basically, so the people will know that you're God, Lord, send fire. And God sends fire, consumes the offering, consumes the altar. And the people turn on the prophets of Baal and destroy them because they're leading him down the wrong path. This is a monumental victory. I mean, this is one of those moments where you walk up. This is, in spiritual terms, this is winning the World Series, the Super Bowl, and the NCAA football championship all at once, right? I mean, you're just like, come on, where's the victory celebration? Where's the parade? And yet in 1 Kings chapter 19, the first two verses tell us that King Ahab goes home, tells his wife Jezebel what Elijah has done, and she says, 
may it be unto me if Elijah is not dead soon. And she puts out a contract on his life. And so right after this major victory, here's where we find Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3, it says, And Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah. Now, that's giving you a little bit of geographical information, but understand where he was was in the northern part of Israel. And he flees all the way down out of Israel into Judah, out of Ahab and Jezebel's reign into Judah. And he left his servant there. And then he went alone. He goes further down. It says, into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. Here's his words. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Verse 8 says, so he got up, ate, drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights further south to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. There's probably no better description of depression than Elijah going into a cave where it is dark and it is hidden and it feels like there is no life. There's probably no better description for the darkness that some of you feel have felt in the past or you feel right now because of circumstances in your life that's causing depression to reign over you. But I love this. In the first part of verse 9, it tells us that Elijah goes into a cave, but the second part of verse 9 says, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah and called out. What I believe more than anything else is that when you're in those dark places, God is continually calling you and beckoning you out. And for some of you, I believe he's going to call you and beckon you out today. And God gives Elijah directions to follow. And what I want us to see is in his word, four things that he tells Elijah, four things that you and I can grab hold of, that when you find yourself in depression, that God will speak to you and steps that you can take and what you feel is a moment that you're out of control where you can begin to regain control of your life through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the power of the word of God. The first thing I want you to see is what God tells Elijah first. He tells Elijah he wants him to reset his body. That's the first thing. Reset your body. You say, what what do you mean by that? 1 Kings 19 tells us six different emotions that he's feeling. He feels fear, loneliness, desperation, low self-esteem, exhaustion, anger. These are six ingredients that are a recipe for disaster. And yet God doesn't address those emotional factors first. He actually speaks first and foremost to the physical factors in Elijah's life. You know why? Because it's hard to control your feelings when, you aren't, when you're physically exhausted. Elijah has been running too hard, not sleeping well, and not eating well. He's been going way too hard, way too long, way too fast. And so God speaks to him. But he doesn't preach him a sermon. He doesn't give him a bunch of scriptures to memorize. And he doesn't say, Elijah, where's your faith? 
Look at verse 5, what he says to Elijah. It says, suddenly an angel touched him, and the angel said, get up and eat. In another verse, it tells him that God made him sleep and then woke him up again to eat again. You realize before he even starts with any emotional factors, with any of those things, he starts with the physical problems that Elijah needs to get hold of in his life. So I'm going to give you some things you need to do in your life physically. And let me just tell you right up front, you're not going to like them. Okay? Here they are. You need to get your diet under control. All God's people said... You did that reluctantly, I know. (laughs) Listen, food is not created for your comfort. It's created to give you energy. Now, I'm from the deep south, okay? I understand comfort food. Biscuits and gravy are a love language. I get it. But listen, when you're going through a difficult time, you need to make sure what you put in your body is giving you the things that you need. Food is to give you energy, and proper nutrition promotes brain health and controls mood in your life. You need those things. Get your diet under control. And all God's people said? Amen. Now you're all going, well, I'm not going there for lunch now. (laughs) Second thing? You need to exercise more. You need to move your body. Your bodies were meant for motion. And all God's people said? Some of you are going, I don't like this sermon at all. (laughs) Look, exercise is is vital for you. Whether it's walking, whether it's strength training, you need to do those things. And listen, I'm not telling you you've got to go to the gym and get buff, okay? I am telling you, though, that there's really no excuse. I mean, you can watch the Braves win, and you can exercise during that time. Why? Why is it important? Because your brain releases endorphins that literally change your mood. It combats stress and actually works on the pleasure centers of your mind. You need these things. Third thing, you need to get your sleep patterns regulated and reestablished. 50 to 80% of people who have emotional and mental health struggles are sleep deprived. 50 to 80%. It's a major contributing factor to this. Let me just tell you something. One of the biggest problems that's causing sleep problems in your life is that thing that you're holding either in your hand or in your lap right now. It's your phones. It's screens. Listen to me. Study after study after study after study have shown that if you have screens on at night, it tricks your mind into thinking that it's daytime. You need to turn off all the screens an hour before bedtime. You've got to get your sleep patterns regulated. Listen, this is the thing. He tells him to get up and eat, get some proper nutrition, and he tells him to sleep. How many of you have ever had those moments where you needed sleep and it affected your mood? Let me see your hands. How many of you sitting by somebody right now who has it affected them? Yes. 
Listen, I still remember. Uh, one of the, um, I was pastoring our first church and it was one of those times where we were in a growth season, didn't have enough money to hire people. And so that morning I went to church, I taught a class, then I preached two times, then I came home, we had Sunday night church and I had to get a different message ready for that evening. I was absolutely worn out. I didn't have staff. I was all, I was doing just about every hospital call. I was doing every, everything you could think of. You know, I was getting at the church at 6.30, turning on all the air conditioners and the lights and all this stuff. I was completely worn to a frazzle on a Sunday afternoon. I was tough on my kids who were young. I was short with my words with my wife. And finally, she just looked at me and said, what is wrong with you? And I said, I'm tired. And she said, there's the bedroom. (laughs) She said, you need a nap. And she said, we need you to go get a nap. Don't come out. If you've had a nap. (laughs) Some of you, the most spiritual thing you might do today is go home and get your sleep patterns reestablished. Why don't you look at your neighbor really kindly and just say, I think you need a nap. (laughs) Go ahead, tell him right now. Now look back at him and go, you know, I think I do. (laughs) Listen, if God thought it so important that the first thing he addressed was the physical things that Elijah was going through, these are things you can take control of. Dr. Stephen Elardi, who's a clinical psychologist, wrote in his book, The Depression Cure, says, we were never designed for the sedentary, socially isolated, sleep-deprived, poorly nourished, indoor frenetic pace of modern American life. If you neglect your design, depression is almost inevitable at some point. For some people, they don't necessarily need a prayer line. They need a new pace. For some people, the most spiritual thing they can do is enter into God's rest and let God begin to renew them physically. Reset your body. The second thing he tells him is he needs to re-engage your soul. Re-engage your soul. Listen to me. Overcoming depression is a process, but there is no substitute for a real encounter with the presence of God. In verse 11, it says, The Lord said to Elijah, Go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountain, tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Elijah encounters the presence of the Lord. God whispers to him, and Elijah pulls a cloak over his face. I think that is such a great word picture of what many people do. Because depression to a follower of Christ causes shame. Because for some reason they think, I shouldn't be dealing with this, or it shouldn't be giving me this much trouble. 
And so they allow shame to keep them out of the presence of God. Whether it's in your personal worship or whether it's in your corporate worship, listen to me. You can either pull back or you can press in. But it is vital that you press in to God's presence in worship. Because worship is probably one of the greatest antidepressants anywhere. Isaiah 61.3 says this. God says, I will give them beauty for ashes. I will give them the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. When we worship, God inhabits the place where we are. And the scripture tells us that where God is, there is peace, there's joy, there's rest, there's confidence, and there's power. And if you know what those are, those are completely opposite of fear, worry, anxiety, and depression. That when you enter into worship, you enter into the things that God needs. But listen, God wants to do in your life. But listen, what does it tell us? It's a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. A garment is something you have to put on. A garment is something that you have to choose to put on. You have a closet full of clothes and garments. I do too. But you know what? They're absolutely irrelevant until you choose to put them on. They do no good until you put them on. When you choose to come to worship or in your personal time and you raise your hands and you lift your voice and you clap your hands and you declare the goodness of God even when things aren't good, you're literally putting on a garment that can change the very outlook of your life. It's why it's so important that even in the darkest times that you spend time in prayer that you spend time in God's word, you spend time listening to praise and worship music. It matters what you put into your life, that you come into the house of the Lord and you lift your hands and you worship the God of all creation and the one who can bring you out and the one who is calling you out of that cave. Reset your body, re-engage your soul. The third thing, is refocus your mind. Refocus your mind. Do you know that researchers researchers tell us that negative self-talk is a key contributor to depression, anxiety, and even addictions? Elijah is filled with negative self-talk here. Notice what it says in the second part of verse 13. It says, and a voice, God speaking says, what are you doing here, Elijah? God doesn't need the answer to that question. God knows why he's there. God needs Elijah to see that Elijah's feelings are lying to him. Because here's what Elijah says in verse 14. He replies again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Here's what he says. And God negates every one of them. He says, I'm the only one left. God says, that's false. I've been doing all the work. God says, that's false. I'm the only one who cares. God says, that's false. I'm the only one who can get it done. God says, that's false. God even goes through and cuts through all the lies. And he says, you are not the only one. You think you're out here fighting for me all on your own? God tells him later, he goes, I have 7,000 more just like you still in this land, never bowed their knee towards an idol. But all of the focus of Elijah 
is empowering the wrong feelings in his life and they're causing him to live in a false reality. It is essential to refocus our minds. How do you do that? I don't think it's an accident that God leads him to Mount Sinai. I don't think that's an accident. It's on the same mountain that God called Moses up and gave him the Ten Commandments and gave him the law and said, here's how my people are supposed to live. Here's how you are supposed to act. Here's how you're supposed to depend on me. Elijah is literally standing on the place where God gave his word. Standing on God's word recalibrates my mind and my feelings and my focus to what God says is true about me and my situation and not based on the lies that I tell myself. How do you come out of a cave? Verse by verse, one verse at a time, day by day, you exchange your self-negative talk with God's thoughts on you. Day by day, you regularly take in God's word and he literally can reprogram your mind to focus on the things that are true about you that God has already declared about you. But you have to refocus your mind on the things that God says. God's word is filled with his promises. But you have to open God's word and fill your life with his promises. The fourth thing is this is you have to return to your purpose. Return to your purpose. Studies of suicide notes have found that they rarely mention problems like failing health, rejection, or financial crisis. Mostly they speak of being tired of life and needing a way out. Psychologist Julius Segal says, countless individuals report their basic problem is an existence that is without meaning. Why is lack of meaning so important? Because we have the need not only to survive, but to find significance in what we're doing. What God speaks to Elijah at this moment in time is simply to call him back to his purpose that God has already established in his life. In verse 15, it says, The Lord said to Elijah, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Notice, I want you to go back to Israel, back from where you ran, where you're fearing Ahab and Jezebel. I've already declared their future, and I need you to anoint the next king there. And then he says, I want you to anoint Elisha, son of Shaphath, from Abel Mehola to succeed you as prophet. You know what he's telling him? You have a purpose. But what I'm calling you to is bigger than you. You've been so focused on what's going on in your life, you don't realize that I have a purpose for you, but you're part of the purpose. You're part of the calling, but you're not all of it. I remember sitting down with um, Paul Walker, who was obviously one of our pastor emeritus this year before he passed, pastored Mount Perrin for 37 years, and I asked him two questions. I said, what's it like to pastor the same church for 37 years? And I also asked him, what does it feel like to pastor a church for so long? He said two things. 
When I said, what does it feel like to pass through the same church for 37 years? He said, I don't know. He said, every five to seven years, this church changes. So I pastor a new church every five to seven years. But I said, what about to stay in the same place for so long? He said, I always have to remind myself that we're all interim. He said, I'm an interim pastor. He looked at me, he said, so are you. We have a start, we have an end. But we serve a God who is everlasting. He was there before us, he's here with us, he'll be here after us. And our purpose is simply to fulfill the calling he has placed on our life for the time that he chooses and allow him to do what he wants to do. And he said, when I understand that, I take the pressure off myself and I take the worry and anxiety of the success or the failure of anything and I allow God to do in me and through me only what he's purposed to do. He said, I can rest in that. You need purpose in your life. I think the most powerful thing is that God pointed Elijah back toward his purpose before he was cured. He didn't wait for him to completely get better. Elijah didn't have to have a clean bill of health or a doctor's release. Even though he's still recovering, God said, you have a purpose. And for you, when you struggle or if you're struggling right now, even if you're battling, that doesn't mean you can't be a blessing. Even if you're fighting, that doesn't mean you can't be fruitful in this moment. Even if you feel disqualified, you're not. You've still got something to contribute because God knows how to take your sad days and bring significance out of them. God knows how to take painful seasons in your life and bring purpose out of it. And as only God can do, and as only as many of you have found, and I have found, he will use the help you give to others to heal you as well. When you step out in faith, even in the midst of your pain, and you help others, God begins to alleviate and heal the pain that you're going through right now. Elijah recovered. You can recover. But it starts with honesty. It starts with you admitting that I may need other help. I may need counseling. I may need therapy. I may need medicine. But first and foremost, I need the Lord. I need him. And just like Elijah, for those of you who feel like you're in that cave right now, I believe the Lord is calling you out of that moment. The Lord is here. Because the Bible says, where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus said, there I'll be in the midst of them. Which means the healer and the helper is in this house today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? The darkest place he's ever going to bring you out of is when you're living a life outside of him. And some of you in this room, when you came in here, you know things aren't right between you and the Lord. And for some of you, the, the most crucial thing you can do is yield your life 
to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I just want you to pray this simple prayer, something like this. Say, Jesus, I love you. I thank you for the sacrifice that you made for my sins. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. And not only do I ask you to forgive me of my sins, I yield my life to you and ask you to be the, lead and the, the Lord and the leader of my life. Lead me through your word and by your spirit. And I'll never be the same. I'm gonna ask everyone to pray this prayer profession with me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. One more time. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed, no one but the ministry team and myself looking around. If that's you, you know when you came in here, things weren't right between you and the Lord. You made a decision to follow him for the first time, for the first time in a long time. I'm not here to embarrass you. I want to pray for you this week. If that's you, would you be bold enough to say, that's me, I made that decision today, and lift your hand up and say, that's me, Pastor, pray for me this week. God bless you. You're not alone. Amen. Just keep them up just for a moment, please. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you can put them down. With your head still bowed, eyes still closed. I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm in one of those dark places right now. And I need God to bring me out. Life circumstances or choices have caused me to feel like I'm in a, I've been just in a dark cave right now. And I need the Lord's help to come out of that. If that's you, no one else is looking around. If that's you, would you be honest and say, Pastor, that's me. And just raise your hand really high just for a moment. Oh my goodness, you're not alone. Oh, you're not alone. Keep them up just a moment. The Lord's about to send healing into your life. All right, you can put them down. Father, in the next few moments, as we pray, your spirit is in this place and you have declared that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. As you call us out, empower us today to live a life of hope, a life of promise, and a life of power. Replace the darkness with light. Replace sorrow with joy. Replace mourning with dancing. And give us a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness today. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me, please. We're going to worship together in song. I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come and come down front. If you have a need, any need whatsoever, whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, whether it's emotional, whether it's financial, relational, whatever that need is, we wanna take the opportunity to pray with you. And let me just tell you, for those of you who raised your hand and said, I'm in a dark place, this is an all-call prayer. We're gonna pray for everything this morning. No one knows what you're coming down for, but I want you to come down, be bold today, whether it's physical, emotional, whether it's financial, but also if you feel like you're in a dark place, this is your moment. Come down and have someone agree with you in prayer right now and allow the Lord to start setting you free right now. As we worship together, I want you to just step out whatever need you have and believe that God is gonna set you free right now in Jesus' name.
got a friend He's closer than a brother There is no judgment Oh, how he loves me I've got a friend And he is my strength He is my portion He's with me in the valley With me in the fire with me in the storm So let all my life testify Hallelujah We are not alone God really loves us God really
take a moment. That song says God really loves us. And in this moment, can we just show God our love back to him today? Just tell him that you love him, that you're thankful for him, that he's a father to you and a friend and your savior. Thank you for loving us, Father. We thank you, Jesus. Believe these words today. That God really loves us. God really loves us. Hallelujah. Oh, praise. Oh, praise my soul. God really loves us. Yes, God really loves us. I want you to just take your hands and turn them like this as if you're going to receive something from the Lord. It's just an act of faith. And I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to speak the word of the Lord over you. Some of you, you need to hear this. You've listened to the lies of the enemy for way too long who's told you you are not enough 
and you are not loved. Here's what God has said about you. Psalm 139 says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. Psalm 7 says you are the apple of his eye. Deuteronomy 17 says you are the treasured possession of the Lord. First Peter tells us that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light so that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out. Romans tells us that you not only are more than conquerors, but that nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. That Hebrews tells us he will never leave us, nor will he ever forsake us. And 1 Thessalonians tells us that one day God is coming back to get us. That the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and will call us home. Revelation tells us that not only are we his, but we are victorious because he is victorious and we will rule and reign forever. The lies of the enemy have taken residence in your heart for way too long. And you need to sweep those out in the name of Jesus and allow the word of God to settle in your heart. Allow his word to not only settle in your heart, to settle in your mind and to build you up in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, your word settle into us. Did your hope take root in us? That God, I pray that even when we feel like we're in those dark places, I pray in Jesus' name that you beckon to us and call us out. And Lord, it may take a little time, but I pray that everyone who is experiencing the darkness right now will walk out into your marvelous light and they understand what they're going through right now is temporary, but what you're calling us to is forever. I speak blessings over your people today. Bless their minds, bless their hearts, bless their souls, bless their spirits, bless their bodies. I pray in the name of Jesus that when we leave here today, there is a supernatural refreshing that is taking place, body, soul, and spirit. And may hope well up within us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, give the Lord praise in this place. Amen. Amen. Hey, come on, celebrate with me. Five people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ today. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you made a decision for Christ, we'd love to help you in your walk with Jesus. You can either come see one of our Grow Team members who will be here at the end of service or right outside in the atrium. We would love to, to help you at, at a little place called Connection, uh, Connect Point. Uh, we'd love to help get that information to you as well. Also, if you've got any, would like to just 
get more information about how to get plugged in here at North, we could do that as well. Uh, Pastor Drew would love to talk with you out there as well. And um, if you need any help walking along, if you're in a dark place and you need help walking through that, not only do we have a ministry of pastoral care and counseling, we have folks that are trained to be hope ministers that will just walk with you during those times that you need help. Um, if that's you, there's a card in the seat back in front of you. Take that, fill it out, and uh, you can drop it in one of the giving boxes anonymously, and uh, somebody will get in contact with you. We want to help you. And if you need some extra helps, uh, more clinical help, we've got some references that we can uh, refer you to because we want to help you. Not only did God say he would never leave you or forsake you, we want to walk with you as well through this and help you as you come out of that place because God is for you, we believe in you, and God is going to bring you out. You believe that? Amen? Let's give God praise one more time. Amen. It's in Numbers chapter 6. We speak a blessing over you every week, and the Lord says that when we do this, we literally place his name on you. So allow me the privilege to bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you folks. Love you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountparanorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at mountparanorth.com or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 1115 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.